Let's get to know other constituents and elements like metals and electromagnetic fields and also microorganisms like parasites, bacteria, viruses that share an intimate connection with our mind and body. Hello, welcome to the Vital Veda Show. Thanks so much for joining me. If you've listened to the show before, welcome back. We have a really special episode. If you're new, welcome. I'm going to introduce myself in a bit in a different way than usual. But before I introduce myself, I want to introduce our guest, in fact, I'll do it in when I speak to Dr. Jess, but I just want to say I was really honored to have Dr. Jess. She's um, quite an established functional medical doctor, pretty awesome on Instagram. Check her out, Dr. Jess. Um, you're going to get into, um, you're going to hear about her when we when we talk and we hear about her journey. One of the, yeah, a fan, really influential medical doctor right now and especially at this time during COVID. She's one of the ones that are speaking out and, you know, giving evidence-based information before we get into the podcast i i've been on recently been on the mahasoma podcast which is my dear friend um, laura pool's podcast as well as the mahasoma team who she works with and i've done a couple episodes on women's health on preconception menstruation pregnancy postnatal and also about transcending suffering and pain so for those who are experiencing chronic pain or serious pain and how to, you know, use your consciousness as a tool for healing. And I interview Laura, who's an exemplar of, of doing that, one whose body is going through, you know, absolute chronic pain and or and in the past that has at least in the past and still still is battling it, uh, not rather than battling it, going through this journey and um, using consciousness to go beyond that and detach from the body and that the consciousness is the king and the mind is the king. So... Check that out on the Mahasoma podcast. So allow my dear friend Laura Paul to reintroduce myself. Dylan Smith is an Ayurveda practitioner based in Sydney who travels to give lectures and consults. He's a researcher and a writer and someone who has devoted their entire life to serving humanity through this ancient wisdom. He studies with the world-renowned Vaidyas, the Raju family. 13th generational Ayurveda doctors based in India. He is one of the funniest, quirkiest and humble people I know with an inspiring Instagram feed at Vital Veda, uh, a knowledge packed podcast, the Vital Veda podcast, and a brilliant website with in-depth researched journal posts on everything to do with Ayurveda. The science of life. Thanks for the introduction, Laura. Check out the Mahasoma podcast. It's definitely my new favorite podcast. So, guys, today we've got an awesome episode. Um, before we get into it, I just want to let you know if you want more knowledge, sign up to my newsletter on my website, um, vitalveda.com.au, where I give perhaps a more in depth knowledge very occasionally, maybe once every one to two months on average, and as well as special offers. Um, things like online courses in the future, which will be released, um, which we're just doing one right now, and it's having a fantastic response. It's been really beautiful, great group. And what else? Instagram is where I post the most regularly, so check that out, Vital Veda. If you want to do an online consultation with me, you know, really refine your health and, and make you radiate. You deserve to feel vitality. And as a matter of fact, it's innate within you. Let's awaken that and let's bring this state of health within you and radiate for everyone to enjoy. What a better time than right now to rise among the rest and not succumb to those, you know, it's very clear with this pandemic who, you know, is, is exposed to the chronic disease and who has health. So 
you know, right now, more than ever, we really want to prevent and, and optimal health. So wherever, you know, some imbalances lies, we, you know, bring that into balance. And my goal with consultations is to make you self-sufficient and independent in your health. So that's one thing. I'll give a diet, lifestyle plan, herbal remedies. So for that, you can contact us on the website and book an online consultation. If you enjoy these podcasts, please leave a review. It's, support, it's, it's really helpful and supports us. So can just do that on your local thing if you want to leave a donation go for it it's on uh, vital beta podcast that'd be much appreciated these podcasts take a lot and i turned down the sponsors because i haven't had a sponsor who people have been asking to advertise on this but nothing that i believe in to the fully believe and really want to promote so at the moment it's quite costly thing to run actually a podcast takes a lot of time and energy and money so support it, share it, share this with a friend if you think it's relevant for someone. Um, it really helps and I really appreciate it. And I love reading your reviews. Please leave it. I, lo- I love reading them. And that's just for that reason alone. So this is a jam-packed episode. There's a lot of knowledge and it's a lot of flow. I, I was waking up early and Jess was on fire. It was really, it's a really beautiful stuff. So I hope you enjoy. A couple other things I want to let you know about. One is on Facebook, we have what's called the Vital Veda Community, a group where we all share things with each other, ask questions and get opinions from not only myself, but other people who may have a better opinion on it. So questions, inspiration. I've started this thing called like a share, sharing what we have. So guys, I've got extra curry leaves growing on my tree. I have aloe vera. I have tulsi tree that I want to share and spread cutting so you can grow it. I have milk kefir grains that keep multiplying. What else do you guys have? What else do you guys need? Let's share these things amongst our local communities and start spreading wellness and all that we spoke about last episode with Dr. Mark Cohen about sparking a wellness pandemic. So check out the Vitalvator Community Facebook page. Get connected with other like-minded conscious individuals the last thing i'd like to share before we get into this episode is on the vital veda website you click about then click friends of vital veda and has all the practitioners therapists meditation teachers yoga teachers as well as essentials that i recommend things like water filters where to get spring water um you know where to buy a gemstone to enhance your astrological chart so many things so check that out all the things i recommend um you know this is something i again i've been asked to promote things and all this and it's not not unless i fully believe in it or and and usually most of these things i use myself so along with that as well as discounts you know where to get the best honey and honey other bee products with with discounts as well for the vitavator community so check that out here we've got a jam-packed episode with a lot of flow and thank you really i'm really grateful for you to listening so much love Dr. Jessica Petros is a functional functional medical doctor, stealth infection expert, and Gerson therapy practitioner, and is a well-respected and highly sought-after medical profession that functionally and holistically, rather than chemically. After six years in the hospital, it became evident that the pill-for-every-ill approach was not improving the health or lives of her patients. After leaving Western Medicine, she began to educate herself on the aspects of health that she was not taught in medical school, and she continues to learn more from every day. Her goal is for you to have access to the information she provides so that you can be your own best doctor. Beautiful. So talking to Jess, it seems like a very, I guess, significant experience of in your life and, and journey along with the journey is um, differentiating between the two contrasts of conventional medicine and perhaps functional medicine, including alternative medicine and 
natural medicine. So would you speak about, is that right? Yes, that's correct. Um, it's been quite a journey um, along the way and still part of the, one of the hardest aspects of things is merging what's best for the patient while looking at two different lenses. Um, one lens is what I was taught with conventional medicine in the allopathic medical system. And one lens is prevention and um, holistic treatment and returning it, the body back to homeostasis on its own. So that's really the the kind of uh, tightrope balancing game that I often play in my career with patients, for sure. Mm, yeah, beautiful. And anything you'd like to add to your journey and your story? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for the great intro. So, you know, I was a hospitalist for almost seven years and if you guys don't know what a hospitalist is, it's a, it's a medical doctor who is traditionally trained in internal medicine or family practice. And they really admit everything from the emergency department, um, as long as it's not an acute surgical emergency or anything that just falls under general surgery. So I really had to be pretty well equipped with what to do for every scenario. And uh, I feel like that gave me, although it was some of the hardest years of my life and really stressful, it gave me the backbone and the foundation to understand uh, how the human body works under pressure in acute situations and chronically over the long term when it's not been cared for well enough. So that's mm -hmm. my journey. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. And um, I'd like to check on you now. How are you going yourself with the current situation? Because I know you've been one of the people who have been speaking out and um, really sharing the truth and reality of the broader perspective. And, and it's hard. I mean, I've, it's, it's, I've been, you know, going down the rabbit hole as well and, it, and being exposed to all the darkness and negative forces of nature. It's, it's pretty confronting and full on. So, how are you going with that? Because you're digging deep into it. Yes, I am. Um, I've always, I'll be honest with you now that we're on here, I don't openly say this very, very often, but I started out you know, in social media, really exploring the mainstream narrative and being almost more, a little more of what people would call a conspiracy theorist, which is really just someone who does their homework and questions the mainstream narrative. And that's I, nothing has changed for me at this point. I just have a bigger audience. And um, I think now is the time for us to speak out. And so many people are offended all the time. You know, you really are, are thrown under the bus. If you speak out or go against the grain, you look a little crazy to most people. Um, so that really triggers people's cognitive dissonance. That really triggers people's reactivity and fears. And it's it's really warding off the general public. Um, sometimes people mean well and, and they want the best for everyone, but they're so afraid they can't see the forest for the trees. And um, I'm doing well with researching. It's very clear to me what's going on. Um but you know, I want I want everyone to know that the Greek definition of or the literal definition of the Greek word apocalypse means to uncover. And so even though there's all this dark energy and things surfacing that we don't know what's true and what's not, what's to be, what's to be believed and what's not, really everything that is being uncovered has been going on for years. And um, it's being uncovered and a light is being shown in the darkness so that we have the opportunity to change the way the trajectory is going. Totally, without a doubt. You know, as dark as it may seem, it's, it's a catalyst for radical evolutionary change and something beautiful is going to come out of this. Same page. Can, yeah. So, <laughs> Same so page. You just got to remember that and that, you know, the dark and the light is always interplaying and, you know, we should not reject the darkness, so to speak, or, or try to fight it or retaliate. It's more about shining our light and, and then actually the darkness will go. 
Amen to that. Yes. Cool. So, you know, we don't have to get much into the situation, what's going on, but if it comes up, we can. But primarily what I wanted to speak to you about is just getting to know the other constituents and elements like heavy metals and the electromagnetic <laughs> fields and also the other microorganisms that share this world with us and thus share our body with us. Um, because it's, you know, this is a great thing about this virus and so many things. It's about learning about the microorganisms because they're a part of us. And we need to get to know them and, and how they work with, with our bodies. So, Right. You know, I feel like the mainstream, um, or should I say modern day medicine, has decided that the way to keep people healthy is to sterilize everything to a fault, to the point where our soldier cells that are the best defense system that protect us against these erroneous viruses and mold or whatnot, they don't, they're not there. They're actually sterilized and have been eradicated as well. And so they've done this with everything. And now you're seeing autoimmunity and allergies and asthma pop up because we don't have that defense. We are microbial organisms. We are more bacteria than cells. These viruses, uh, my bacteria, fungus, candida, mold, it's all evolved with us for a millennia. And we have lived with this certain pathogenic load inside of us to our demise or to our benefit. That's what makes us human. Yeah, beautiful. So let's let's explore some of them. I want to like I like to start with something which about Epstein Barr virus and mm-hmm. give us a rundown of that because we hear it. You know, the medical media made it popular and said everyone has this virus. And and look, that's generally with every all like all viruses that viruses live in us. They're not bad, but exactly. they can become virulent and pathogenic. So yeah, please educate about Epstein Barr. Exactly. So Epstein-Barr, like you said, claimed to fame with medical medium or um, Anthony Williams. Uh, you know, I do agree with him on some things. For example, I do think that most of us are, are seropositive for this or our blood shows a chronic or previous infection of Epstein-Barr in the blood. Um, that's probably 90, 95% of people by college age. So most of us do harbor this virus, but the difference is what, you know, or the question I should say is what makes some people way more susceptible to reactivation or sequela and complications from this viral load as opposed to other people. What we do know about Epstein-Barr is there was a study out of Cincinnati in I think around 2016 or 17 that showed that Epstein-Barr was able to overtake our B cells, which are our immune cells, and replicate and make its DNA in perpetuity. Um, So it's actually inserting itself into our DNA to make copies and actually becoming a part of us, which um, triggers autoimmunity in some people. It's now connected to seven different autoimmune conditions that modern science is admitted to. So I do feel this virus plays an, an underlying part in a lot of people's immune issues or in their pathogenic load. However, it is by no means the only big gun or problem child that can be there. Um, it's sort of, I like to describe it as almost like a toxin load or toxin bucket that we're all born with. Some of us are born with a bucket that's more full than others. And if you're exposed to something like Epstein-Barr virus at a critical time in your life where you're also stressed out and it's sort of the perfect storm, it might tip the toxin bucket over to where one more episode or one more viral um, exposure is too much for the body. And then bam, you break and you're diagnosed with a chronic condition or autoimmunity. And that's the story for most of the people I talk to. So Epstein-Barr is a problem. It can be a problem way more based on your genes, your predispositions, your toxin bucket load, but it's not the only problem out there by any means. Yep. 
And how easy it is to test for it? I mean, is a is blood test adequate? Yeah, you know, actually, that's all we've got right now. I mean, we've got a, a couple other, like a stool test you can look for. It's rarely a problem in the gut, though. So really, a blood test is the best we've got. And you have to have a skilled physician who knows how to order a full panel and interpret it. For example, uh, like every doc knows to order thyroid stimulating hormone for the thyroid. Not all of them actually order free T3 and free T4. And you need that for the whole picture to understand what's fully going on in the body. And it's a similar story for Epstein-Barr virus panels. You need um, not just an IgM, which looks at, do you have a current infection? You also need an IgG, which looks at past infections, but it actually goes beyond that. You need to check for a viral capsid antigen, an Epstein-Barr nuclear antigen, and then an early antigen. And if all that is positive, including the early antigen, then you have a reactivation of Epstein-Barr. So it's actually a little bit of tricky reading in the blood. So you need a doc who kind of has a skilled eye or knows what they're ordering. And is the immunoglobin IgE test, is that related with the Epstein-Barr? Which is, for those, that's an antibody that, that will, you know, help from the immune system to protect against viruses. That, did you say IgE? Yeah. So IgE is more of an acute hypersensitivity immunoglobulin. So it often happens, we check that if people have um, allergies or anaphylaxis or things like that. So Ig, there's IgA, which is the immunoglobulin that's on the mucous membranes, IgM, which is an antibody that's made right when there's a current infection, IgG, which indicates a chronic infection, IgE, which is parasites, allergies, or anaphylaxis. So they all can kind of mean a certain something. Okay. Um, yeah, kind of confusing. And one other thing I'd just like to mention is something which I've really realized with this coronavirus is learning about the other statistics, like how many people die from the flu here and all these other things. <laughs> wild. And, but, yeah. Um, you know, that's the thing is they, they're so concerned about this coronavirus and we really don't know enough yet, but the, the, the paradigm has been to, to really bring fear, um, the fear side of what could be. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and another microorganism we should, we should know is parasites. And again, not to be labeled as evil. I mean, parasites live with us always and they can live in harmony. And one thing I, I read on you, which was very interesting, was that the parasites, the symptoms from parasites can be worse with the full moon. Is yes. that, that's due to their reproductive cycle, right? Yes. And I say this to people and they really think it's like bro science or that it's just pseudoscience, but it's actually well documented in the literature that, you know, parasites can have a full life cycle inside of humans, including eggs, larvae, or a full worm, if that's what we're looking at, not to be gross, but they can, and they can move from different parts of our body during this life cycle. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really common that they will reproduce or replicate during a full moon in one, in one part of the body. And then once the eggs are hatched to go to another part of the body, it sounds so gross to tell people all this, but it's really true. Um, and so because of that, a lot of people have insomnia, anxiety, even maybe an increased internal vibration in the body around a full moon, usually three days or so around the full moon before and after. Um, and you'll often see people complain of not sleeping at all. Um, really feeling like things are crawling on them, even in their dreams. Uh, it's very, very, that's a very sensitive symptom for parasites. And I like what you said too, that they're not all bad because they're really not all bad all the time. No. And 
it's it's so f- I'm I admire them and in, in the fact that they're aligned with nature's cycles because you know even for us humans typically you know being with the full moon is kind of when a woman may depending on how where you know her I guess astrological chart mm-hmm. should be ovulating and naturally in the Ayurveda we say during the full moon the the soma the energy which you know produces fertility or all that sexual energy is higher during the full moon and reproductive energy is there. So it's, I love how the parasites are in tune with nature cycles. It's very, it's, it's, yeah, there's, our bodies are smarter than our conscious mind and the earth too. They're connected. I mean, you just proved it in that. I love that. <laughs> and is would another factor that, um, you know, si- that symptoms can be stronger during the full moon, maybe related with the electromagnetic fields of the full moon? Very good point. You know, absolutely. We, we often forget, you know, we're 80% water and the oceans rely on the moon's pull, right? So that's a really strong electromagnetic gravitation or pull there for us. So yeah, it, it absolutely could be. And we don't, we don't even know what the research would show, even if we had capabilities to do this research when we we're making electronic man-made frequencies down here and messing with the electromagnetic pull of the moon and everything else. It's hard to know what's really going on. Okay, yeah. cool. And and just with the testing of parasites, because that can be tricky. I mean, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that the stool, stool test is kind of, I guess, a popular, the most popular test in the functional medicine and, and mm-hmm. fields. But, but, but really, isn't the stool test only showing parasite when it's dead? Right. <laughs> Good point. You know, you hit the nail on the head with that one. You're absolutely right. I wish there was the creme de la creme testing of parasites or, you know, the magic bullet for testing, but there's just not. The best we've got is a stool test that uses polymerase chain reaction or PCR, which really means DNA. They look for the DNA of these parasitic parts, um, but they're such good stealth hiding ninja like little creatures that it's so difficult. It's not, you know, regular conventional medicine, they do an O and P, which stands for OVA and parasites. And you would probably have to get 10 of those to catch one that was positive. And I know from experience, so we just really don't have a good way of testing it. So a lot of times I'll get a really long intake from patients, almost an hour, hour and a half. And I'll ask certain questions, you know, do you have a dairy sensitivity? Are you worse around a full moon? Do you grind your teeth at night? Um, do you have rectal itching, which sounds gross, but is a really sensitive symptom for people with parasites. They're so nocturnal and you're going to feel stuff at night if you have them. Why is the rectal itch- itching? Are they Oh, it's so, it's so gross, but it's true. You've got to think about like pinworms, you know, they come out um, around after midnight um, out of the anal canal and actually really cause pretty intense itching for children are most like the most likely culprits, but these things are so contagious. They're in, a, they're in a household. I mean, I have one family, the kids brought home pinworms and it took them a year to eradicate the whole house. <laughs> I li- oh, wow. Yeah. I li- <laughs> I like to hear thoughts. I mean, it kind of, you know, the testing is poor. So, and it kind of seems a bit perhaps reductionist of trying to f- really figure out which parasite. I mean, if we want to be focusing on the bigger picture, which is the environment of the microbiome, right. you know, maybe that, what's your thoughts on that? Is that a better, because it feels like we are so inferior to their intelligence and, you know, our <laughs> system is not. <laughs> there. So rather than trying to like gun one down or target one, let's just work on a more foundational area of the, in the environment. 
you're right. You know, like uh, it's the terrain versus the germ theory, you know, clean the tank, right? Then then the, the tank, the fish will survive. And it's sort of the similar thing here. We have, we already know mold increases by 600% around Wi-Fi routers. We have electronic, or excuse me, man-made frequencies that we're dealing with that really can change the virulence of different pathogens. We have antibiotics given willy-nilly for just about anything nowadays. We have a lot of pollution in our environment, environmental toxicities that our bodies have not, it's changed more in the last 50, you know, 100 years than it has in all of man's existence. And our bodies are wonderful, but they are not capable of being able to process and understand and communicate properly when there's a barrage of things that are um, and exposures that are hitting us every single day. And so um, really working on that, working on prevention, working on sweating every day, working on an organic diet, really clearing out um, environmental toxicities that at least we can be aware of, the body returns to normalcy. And really the body is the only thing that can fix you. There's nothing I can do that will fix you. I have to get your body to be able to realize. Yeah, and heal itself. And yes. yeah, trigger the body's innate healing mechanisms. Yes. And you mentioned the electromagnetic fields having influence on these. Mm-hmm. I, heavy metals, definitely I can see that, how the electromagnetic fields influence them because they're like a metal, they're like an antenna. But do they also influence the parasites? And Good parasites? question. You know, I don't think we know the answer to that, actually. Um, mm-hmm. there, the, the one study that's been done on, on uh, mold was done at, a, at an institute kind of off the record and the clean heart Institute repurposed it and republished the study. So it's not, that's not even something that we can fully see what journal it was published in. So I have no idea about parasites. I would think, you know, for example, I'll tell you what I know. There's this one study that shows these two different bacterial pathogens, E. coli, which many people probably heard of, and then listeria, which is another pathogen that can cause listeriosis, which really can cause a lot of upper respiratory problems for the elderly and young, young people as well. And so they, what they did was they took these two pathogens and they put it around a 2.4 um, megahertz router or a gigahertz router, which I think is what we do, what we use now. Um, and they saw that these two pathogens were able to evade antibiotics, different mechanisms of killing them. They were able to kind of grow outside the lines of the Petri dish. So it seemed that they didn't react as well to antibiotics and that the way they grew seemed to increase around these frequencies. And that's what we know. We don't really know about parasites. I mean, the general medical community barely admits that they exist only in third world countries. So I don't know how we're going to get them to ever admit this. They barely admit that chronic Lyme disease exists. So, Mm. (laughs) yeah. And what, what would you say to them about pa- that parasites do exist in first world countries? Absolutely. You know, when you think about here in the United States, we've been sort of groomed for years to think that we're the number one America. You know, we have the best food, best patriots, best everything. And at that, and, and at some point that doesn't, it's not true anymore. You know, our, our birth rate is abysmal here. Our birth survival rate, our food is no better than any of the other countries in the world at this point. It's all sprayed with herbicides. It's, a lot of it is genetically modified. And so we have a sick population. Um, and the electromagnetic field is pretty yeah, detrimental. Absolutely. I mean, there's just not enough studies done for them to be rolling this out like they are, in my opinion. I love what Vladimir Putin said. Uh, <laughs> he said. He said, we don't have to go to war with America because they're 
committing collective suicide with their electromagnetic field situation. It, he's really, oh my gosh, I kind of, yeah. Putin says some really interesting things and he's right <laughs> about a lot of stuff. I mean, you yeah. know, you have to look at it through a different lens. Is what we're doing, is a vaccine for everything the right answer? When are we going to hold these corporations, which we have a corporatocracy, by the way, the same people who run Monsanto were in the FDA, and there's many examples like that. So when are we going to hold these people who are in charge, who are making money off the backs of poisoning and polluting the environment, when are we going to hold them responsible for making, really creating crimes against humanity and, and polluting all of humanity for years? That's what needs to happen is these people need to be held responsible. They're the ones creating the dirty terrain, which are making people sick. Yeah. And I think the realization of that in the collective is going to really increase. I think these days with social media, you know, we, we weren't able to expose these things like ever before. And I think with all the alternative news sources, people are going to realize it and whether mm -hmm. how much they're going to cop, you know, get, you know, punished or whatever you want to say for it we don't know they probably will get away with it but at least we'll we'll know and the collective will start opposing it exactly and really it's all change is scary you know there's always gonna humans hate change we hate it we'd rather live in something miserable and familiar it's really sad so we all freak out during change but this is the great awakening so this gives people an opportunity to sit at home and be like man did i really like my job did I really like what I was doing every day? Did I really like sitting in traffic? Was this my dharma? Is this how I want exactly. my life to go? You know what I mean? And then people can say no or yes or whatever they want to say and change it and say, you know, this is, I never was taking care of myself anyway. I had, I'm on this medication and that medication and I could be doing all this stuff and making myself happier and, and not have to worry about catching this virus and potentially it be life-threatening for me because I know my body's got it. Yeah, for sure. Big, big realizations going to come. And, and I think, of one, as you said, a big thing is dharma. People are going to be thinking, you know, am I really meant to be working nine to five and putting, you know, zeros, digital zeros in my bank account? Is that really what life is about? <laughs> I love that. Yes, you're so right. <laughs> people, I can't wait till people realize that. It's all been man-made. It's all made up. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, we've kind of said, we've kind of given, I guess, you know, we've given some admiration to parasites and viruses, but that being said, they can be very, you know, a, you know, really a, a strong causative factor in causing detrimental effects in people's health. Mm -hmm. So, I'd love you to speak about, uh, again, another constituent and not so on the microorganism side, but with the heavy metals. Oh, and yes. that's another thing in our environment, which is prevalent, again, due to modern industrial influences. Yes. So, yeah, yeah. So heavy metals, there's so many of them guys. Um, you know, some of the highlighted ones, I guess, should be things like arsenic, lead, aluminum, mercury, barium, strontium. There's a ton of them. I mean, there's still hundreds of them. Many of them, most of us wouldn't know how to pronounce. So some of those are ubiquitous and found elementally in the soil and the earth's crust. Others of them, um, you know, are more man-made, are more made from fracking or oil sites and really have been deposited into the earth unnaturally. And you know, some um, heavy metals are inert. They don't do anything to us. And then other ones are really toxic and they interfere with 
our general biologic processes inside the body, like the Krebs cycle for making ATP or energy. That's really important. And if that's messed up or our pathway to make neurotransmitters, we may end up having mood disorders that are diagnosed and given medication for when really it's a toxic heavy metal load. I've actually seen this happen. For example, lead, which comes in the soil or in you know, tap water, things like that can really lend towards anxiety for a lot of people. I actually had a case study where a five-year-old little boy was out playing in the soil in his backyard and this particular um, lot had a ton of lead in the soil and this little boy had the worst anxiety at five years old. Um, not to mention the decreased IQ points that lead can, can cause. There's actually been studies that show there's increased violence in areas where there's lead toxicity. So heavy metals really play a role in a lot of mental disorders. Um, mercury, which is famous for mercury fillings or amalgams, uh, can actually leach as a vapor that can leach when you eat hot liquids or foods in the mouth. And now modern dentistry is finally admitting we probably shouldn't have put that in the mouth. We didn't know enough. Uh, it is a neurotoxin, you know, and it's never safe in any amount. So there's a lot of ways that we can be exposed to different heavy metals, and they're very silent, and they're very sneaky, and they hide very well in the body, meaning that if you were just go take, go take a urine test, probably no heavy metals would come out on that test. We actually have to chelate them or give people oral things to pull them out in the bloodstream and then out in the urine to find them on test. And that's because just like some of these stealth pathogens, they hide deep within the tissues, even the bone, some of the organs. And oftentimes parasites can bind with heavy metals and get a free pass into the body because heavy metals do and they're piggybacking. So all this is very complex. There's almost like this environmental toxic conglomerate that's bound up in people. And it's a mess with toxicities, pathogens, and heavy metals. Yeah, so heavy metals, they can, can they penetrate su more subtler channels and then the parasites piggyback on that? Right, exactly. So it's, and they hide so well. They're so stealth. I mean, deep within the tissues and they just don't come out. You really have to bind things up to get them out. And the influence with the, the brain and the mental health, is that what they're disrupting neurotransmitter communication? Absolutely. And so many different things, cellular energy, mitochondrial function, cellular communication, and just general biologic pathways. There's, I, I could show you a chart where certain things like mercury, copper, iron can block certain pathways um, to making some of our biologic components. Absolutely. And they really, you know, even things like ADHD can can just be treated with something like, you know, Ritalin. And no one thinks to look to see if there's heavy metals as a root cause of that. Mm. Yeah. And one, I'd like to discuss one metal because I get asked this a lot <laughs> yeah. of copper, because as you know, you know, in Ayurveda, copper is, is medicine, all these metals are medicine in Ayurveda. And we can yeah. talk about that later, but copper, you know, I get asked, you know, Ayurveda <laughs> typically recommends, you know, put put water in the copper cup overnight and drink it the next morning for a good dose of copper or use a cop top copper tongue scraper or use a copper water bottle. And some people ask, but am I not going to get to copper toxicity? Definitely copper toxicity is a thing, but I don't think drinking out of copper bottles is going to cause it. I think it's an underlying issue maybe with the liver or other things can be. So what, what can cause the copper toxicity? So, oh, well, that's a great question. Copper, honestly, you're not going to really get it from you know, it's not sort of like saying you're going to get iron toxicity from using cast iron skillets. That would be so extremely rare. In fact, I have not seen that in my career, or maybe we don't know 
but I have not seen that. And so I really don't think using a copper tongue scraper, using some you know copper kettles here and there are really going to make a difference. What I find in my population a lot, honestly, is that I find women have the Paragard, which is the copper IUD. And this can cause a problem sometimes because copper estrogen will actually follow copper. And so sometimes you'll see these women have copper toxicity or estrogen dominance or something like that from the copper IUD, which again, yeah. something totally unnatural. But then, and then there is some, like I've seen some patients who, who even from drinking from a copper bottle feel sick and that's. Yes. Oh, wow. Really? Could, yeah. Wow. Like they're so sensitive and. And I don't know. I mean, one patient I saw, and I, we we thought it was we figured it was from his liver. Mm. Um, that, that could you know, be but, that could be it too. That the liver isn't processing things. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, I think it's uh, zinc. Um, copper and zinc have an inverse relationship. So the higher the copper is, the lower the zinc, and vice versa. And it makes it just makes me wonder. So many people have low zinc nowadays. Think about you know COVID people having to overdose on zinc, right, to get their immunity up. And so zinc is also really integral in making hydrochloric acid in the gut for the digestive fire. And so if you have a lot of people um, with low zinc and bloating and a lot of uh, distension, low stomach acid symptoms, you may question to see if they have a high copper tolerance with that too. Okay. Yeah. And then the, can you talk about how the, yeah, the environmental fit, sorry, the electromagnetic fields influence on if someone is full of heavy metals, how that could exacerbate things. Oh, great question. So this is, again, a theory, a hypothesis that we don't have a whole, whole lot of um, evidence or scientific published studies for. I will say that they do have some dentistry studies that show when people have mercury amalgams and they're around a, an electromagnetic field like a Wi-Fi router, they actually leached mercury at a much quicker rate, which is so, I mean, fascinating to me that that would happen, but it makes sense because heavy metals obviously can conduct certain wavelengths and certain energies and frequencies. They are conductors or they can block certain ones. Like you think about aluminum that blocks Wi-Fi frequencies, right? Um, but mercury, this particular metal seems to have an affinity for it. And so it actually leaches the more they're around a Wi-Fi router, which is a good reason to get any metal that's not inert out of your body at this point, whenever we can. Um, the other theory is things like springs in your bed can pick up Wi-Fi routers while you're sleeping can pick up the frequency. So, um, and That's then one of the worst things I think people can do. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. And you think about that. It seems plausible. And then you think about the heavy metal load that we have and even geoengineering of the weather and things and the different metals that we wonder how much we have in our, in our body now, because there's really no great test to see but we know we're out there and we're getting exposed more. So if there's heavy metals inside our bodies, depending on what those are with each person, we may conduct or more or less of those frequencies. Yeah. yeah. And, and for this, you know, it's inevitable. It's, it's even falling onto uh, organic vegetables because from whether it's from geoengineering or from the open coal mines nearby, so really mm. uh, a crucial thing with, with all these inevitable toxins which we've been talking about is to be able to be a good detoxifier regularly, <laughs> not just yes. do a detox once a year or something like that. Because if, you, if you're not a good detoxifier, 
then how are you going to do the detox? <laughs> if you can't, right. if those aren't working. You got to get your <laughs> detox mechanisms working. Can't just go to book a ten day retreat and think that's going to do it. So yeah. I yeah. I agree with you. And there's some people just based on our genes and our genetic haplotypes and predispositions. There are some people whose drainage pathways, like their liver and their skin and their sweat and their bowels, they get blocked really easily. And so the body really is always going to get sick if it's blocked and it can't release what it's being exposed to every day. So working on opening those drainage path- pathways to making sure you are dumping toxins will bring your body back to homeostasis. And that's really what needs to be worked on rather than throwing pills at every single person how can you open their body up so that they're able to return to normalcy yeah and let's talk about these these detoxing i mean in ayurveda the three main wastes are sweat urine and feces so feces obviously having a good bowel motion every morning before any coffee or food and proper elimination every day and and then the mutra the urine having good urination and and the sweating which you're a big proponent on (laughs) which which yeah people perhaps don't overall don't do enough maybe no people tell me all the time dylan that they can't sweat and they think it's a good thing they're like oh i always look beautiful i never sweat or smell and i'm like that's not a good thing you're made to sweat every day you're supposed to if you can move your body that is an absolute honor you should every day uh some people don't have that honor and it's really a great way for you to rejuvenate your body and get rid of you have sweat glands over every inch of your body That means you can detox every inch of your body through sweat. Um, So people really need to understand if you're not sweating every day, if you go two or three days without a bowel movement, um, you know, if you have spasmodic bladder, can't hold your urine, your body's telling you something. You're going to end up sick if we don't address this. How much do you think we should be sweating? Like (laughs) dripping or like, because Ayurveda says, I think exercise should be done until sweat is manifests on the forehead. I believe something like that. Yeah, I like that. That's that's basically sort of what I told my my clients um, without knowing that. Yeah, that's good. Um, I would say I try to sweat probably four to six times per week. I think that that's pretty reasonable for people who are in a healthy place. I have a lot of patients who wish they could move like that and they're too sick. Their adrenal, their adrenal uh, pathway or communication is too shot. They are just exhausted and heavy. They may probably have mitochondrial damage and they can't. And with those people, I say, you know, get yourself in a sauna if you're able or you have access and just do, you know, 10 minutes a day. That sometimes is too much for people if they've never done this. Yeah, and and a sauna that's low in electromagnetic field. Uh, yes, also, thank you. <laughs> and also, what we say is, which and I guess it's unique to Ayurveda because I don't see it enough. Prone is we say to protect the head, huh. cool, keep the head cool. Because if you have you ever seen Doctor Jess, the Ayurveda steams they they're like a box and they're, there's a hole at the top of the box and it keeps the head out. Oh because, yes, I do. I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. So that oh, and actually, yeah, a lot of the saunas now are coming like that because the head mm-hmm. is you know sensitive and it will aggravate the glands and the penile pituitary glands. So we just say to not get head, overheat the head. It can it can cause some issues. But yeah, that's interesting. I and you know you're right. A lot of the saunas are doing that now. I don't have one like that. I have one that's cedar that you actually get in. But that makes sense to me keep that cool Mm -hmm. and always rehydrate too guys make sure you're getting some really healthy Mm -hmm. electrolytes and rehydrating yourself with with water filtered water (laughs) and and the and it's also beautiful to to do the um the sweating without moving right because like for example exercise if you just go into a sauna or sit in a hot 
in the hot sun in the summer because then you're sweating while activating your parasympathetic nervous system, your rest and digest, so you're more relaxed. And some, perhaps when, if you're exercising, the sympathetic can be causing le- can be constraining some of the detoxification. Absolutely. You know, some people tell me, gosh, if I work out, I stir everything up and then I can't sleep at night if I work out in the evenings. And for those people, that just lets you know there's something in your bloodstream you're recirculating and it's causing some insomnia and keeping your body pinged in flight or fight. And if you're like that, maybe back off just a little bit. And what about in winter? Do you think it should be different? Or, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, you'd sweat less in winter, Mm -hmm. but- you know, better, you know, winter we're stronger. We have, we should be doing more exercise. We should be having more sex because we have our agni, our digestive fire is like huddled into our body to keep us warm and, and we have more stamina. Man, Ayurveda is just always something I can buy into. I love it. It makes so much sense. <laughs> yeah. You know, when I lived in Portland, Oregon, it was, it was gloomy and cold a lot of the year. And so I started getting into yoga then because I could go to these hot yoga classes and stay warm. <laughs> And it just stuck after that. So I really enjoy sweating in the heat. I agree with you. I think that that makes more sense that we should be doing more during the winter months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. And of course, uh, a, a very important organ, so important to detox is, is the liver. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot, I mean, as, as we've talked about today, like there's just so many environmental toxins and pollutants. And I think our livers are, strain like never before would you say majority or what percentage of your patients have a unhealthy liver oh my goodness i would say man 30 to 50 percent probably closer to 50 percent probably um it's it's such a big organ but it's so much more sensitive than what we think and you know from my perspective in western medicine we would always get liver enzymes you know ALT AST maybe a bilirubin maybe an alkphos but these are really old labs that haven't changed in about 50 years and f- the liver really needs to be approximately 70 to 80% damaged before those numbers start to turn upwards and show up in the in the blood work and so we need something more sensitive, uh, more specific to really test the liver and see um, how it's doing. So I like to ask certain specific questions. I always respect a really good uh, practitioner who knows who's very advanced in, in muscle testing or autonomic re- response testing too. And then Ayurveda. If any of you guys have ever been to a Tibetan or Ayurvedic doctor, they do so many other things that are like a lost art in, in medicine to ex- assess the body. Yeah, like pulse diagnosis and profound what you can see. Yeah, the tongue. I mean, when's the last time an MD looked at somebody's tongue and really observed Mm. it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, sure. And then I'm really interested to hear your take on coffee enemas Mm. and about them because. I, my teacher, my guru, doesn't like them for the for the reason that. Um, because we give, we give so, like, enemas is huge in Ayurveda and there's thousands and thousands of enemas, but they're more for the nervous system. Mm. We do have detoxifying enemas, um, which are done after a process of collecting the toxins to the alimentary tract and then on, only then flushing it. But those are the, we, what we call the big enemas. And, mm. but the smaller ones are more to nourish because, mm-hmm. you know, to nourish our enteric nervous system. All our nerve plexus ends in the gut. So we, we treat brain disorders and joint disorders like some of the enemas we give because it bypasses the liver we can you know access basically every cell in the body if it's the precious herbs 
But the reason he's given caution is for the coffee enemas is because it can aggravate the nervous system. Oh, yeah. I definitely have seen that, especially with people who are coffee naive. Uh, I usually have people start with a distilled water enema and then move on to chamomile tea, which chamomile tea binds to GABA receptors just like Xanax. So it's a great antispasmodic in calming the nervous system. And then sometimes after that, I'll move them on to coffee. But only... um, only if they've done those two first. And with coffee enemas, it's more of a liver cleanse, not a gut cleanse because we have them lying the right side. So the theory with the Gerson therapy has with coffee is that the um, theophylline um, and uh, and different ingredients inside the coffee actually to dilate the the biliary ducts and uh, the different, uh, you know, actually bring blood flow to the hemorrhoidal vein and actually clean out the liver. And they try to have you hold it for 15 minutes, which is one enterohepatic circulation. But, you know, and say that it raises, uh, there's been a couple studies that show it raises glutathione by up to 500%. So that's, I just got trained by Gerson Mm -hmm. therapy. So that's the reason we do that. But I have to tell you, in some people, that's like punching the liver in the face. And medical medium also had a certain caution about coffee enemas for the same reason. And I definitely have seen, not everyone can tolerate that right off the bat. They can't. Mm. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, Also... I just, this is a kind of a more medical, I guess, medical industry question. I'd be interested with me, you know, I'm, I'm not medical, uh, Western medical trained. I have much respect for the Western medicine. I love it. I love studying it. And I just love to share with you. I'm sure many practitioners also share this, the complications of dealing with patients while they're seeing their Western medical doctors who are confined in dogmas like you were mentioning about these liver tests you know for example like then their doctor's saying you know you have to stay on this medication or that don't eat ghee because it will cause heart disease like just so ingrained in these dogmas um and yeah what what do you see with that it's a fascinating thing to communicate and and work with and i i'm just now telling these you know or you have to be on this seizure medication for for, dec- for your whole life, or yet, you know, <laughs> after you haven't had a seizure for twenty years, like. And then now I'm just telling patients like you need to go to a new doctor and get a second opinion. Like, so mm-hmm. how, how do we deal with 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 this in the industry? That's a great question. It's so hard. I feel like people have to come to it on their own. I'll tell you. I don't search around and and market for any patients. I let them find me. And the reason is, is because I know um, I'm going to make people work. And when they come to see me, it's, it's, they're really going to be proactive with their body. And if they are hanging on to any of that old paradigm at all, then it probably won't work because my programs aren't easy. They're not just giving you a pill and hoping things get better. They're asking you to do a lot of proactive things. And so if people aren't ready for that, or they're still fighting that paradigm system in their brain, it doesn't work out so well. Um, so when I see most of my patients, they're at the point where they say, I've seen nine different doctors. I've asked for this many tests. Doctors won't order them for me. And when they do, they slide them back across to me and say that I'm all normal and it's in my head and I'm crazy and offer me an antidepressant. And, and that's really the trajectory for so many of my patients. So I feel like until people get fed up and start to see it through their own lens and their own eyes, it's going to be hard to convince them. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, that's that's great. You're getting these patients who are have really worthy inquiry. Oh yeah, they're they're as educated as you get. If by the time they a lot of them come to see me, they've already realized. Mm-hmm. That's good. 
Okay. And will you, we, we, you touched on it on, on Lyme disease and I know it's a huge topic. We could do whole podcast episodes on it. <laughs> yes. But, um, yeah, it's definitely becoming, yeah, it's, I guess it's becoming more, it's a very debilitating disease and, and it, yeah, very debilitating. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Why, and it seems, you know, anyone can get, it does seem, it does make you, you know, admire this, uh, microorganism because, Really, I, I've seen healthy people who get debilitated from it. Absolutely. I mean, literally bedridden in some people if they're not caught early enough. And Lyme is on the rise. They're saying, you know, due to the changes in climate and climate change that the, a lot of the deer ticks uh, or lone star ticks um, habitat has changed and grown. And that's why we're seeing an uptick in Lyme disease. And the CDC is admitting up to 300 to 400,000 new cases per year, which is just unbelievable. Oh, wow. It's unbelievable. And so a 1984 paper actually said that speculated that Lyme disease could come from more than just a mosquito, even ticks, bed bugs, spiders, things like that. Um, and then there is some question as well as to whether this is sexually transmitted or not. Um, so there's a lot of ways that Lyme can be spread or possible ways we're looking at. And antibiotics aren't always the answer. In fact, Infectious Disease Society of America, which does, sets the guidelines for Lyme disease, doesn't really believe in chronic Lyme. And they say two weeks of doxycycline is all that's needed for acute Lyme. And it's just not true. They actually cite their own papers as guidelines that they wrote. So there's a conflict of interest there as well with the truth about Lyme disease. Uh, I like to follow... Um, uh, International Lyme Associated Disease or uh, Society or ILADS. They're much more, not quite as conservative as the CDC and the Infectious Disease Society of America. And they really are advocating for these patients who've been so dismissed um, and really told they're crazy and it's all in their head. And really, Lyme disease is the great imitator. Um, it can go underground. It can come out um, in tertiary symptoms in the brain, just like syphilis. They're both corkscrew shaped and therefore form follows function. They behave similarly, burrow deep and hide can come out later. It's really a shame for these people. Mm. I, I, and I'd like to also talk about antibiotics, but with antibiotics, I kind of, you know, it's very precious medicine. It should be used as a last resort and for life-saving conditions. However, I kind of feel maybe one of the other uses could be in acute Lyme disease. But you said that, and doxycycline is the typical one which they'll use. Right. Maybe then give another bomb at the end, end of that just to be safe. Right. But what do you think? I really feel like doxycycline just isn't enough. It's It really can cause the spirochete, which is corkscrew-shaped, to roll into an L-form or L-cyst um, where it hides. It can actually lower its metabolism enough to evade antibiotics. There always needs to be a second agent. I prefer to treat chronic Lyme with herbs anyway, to be honest with you. Uh, the only time I would consider doxy or other antibiotic agents is during an, if we caught acute Lyme and we knew it. Yeah, acute is what I'm saying. Definitely, yes. definitely not. Chronic, yes. you wouldn't want it. Antibiotics is not going to do much. No, actually, it'll just ruin a lot of people's guts, in my opinion. But it's still tried around the world. <laughs> mm. So, yes. So, and and with the with the chronic cases, which are which are the debilitating cases, is that just you know fixing as many mechanisms as you can and reducing toxic load? I mean, yeah, it's such a big you know. Thing. 
most of these people, when I talk to them, they've almost had the perfect storm happen. Like it's just this crazy story of like they lost a loved one and then they lost their house or something else happened. Then they got the flu. And then after that, they got, maybe they got mercury fillings or breast implants. And then finally they got Lyme. So it's always this, you sort of have to chase down the story of what happened and open them up emotionally a little bit because there's always, most of the time there's some sort of emotional work to be done. A lot of them have already done this work, but sometimes that's mixed up in it as well. Um, and really a lot of the, the acute, acute and chronic Lyme patients have their drainage pathways blocked. Like you mentioned, you know, uh, liver, you know, urine, feces, and then even some of them are breathing shallowly too. Um, so they're not detoxing much at all. So you really have to start from the ground up, return their energy, address their gut health, address their liver at that point, um, and then make sure they're able to detoxify. And then really binders are so useful for these people in mold and in lime, which again, often run together. Um, it's so useful for these people because you're pulling things deep in the tissues where they're hiding. Beautiful. Yeah, I I appreciate that. And it seems like like all diseases, but especially this one, that it's very much related with the karma, I think, and with people's mm. journey of you know, they get inflicted with this debilitating condition for for years and years where they, yeah, as you said, can't get out of bed. And there's something deeper going on here, I think, <laughs> on the more subtle layers. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I do, you know, people don't like to think about karma and all that stuff, but oftentimes I'll see somebody who has a really sad, upset, you know, sad, disheartening life. And you have to wonder about, I often wonder about karma because I do think that that's true for everyone. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, really everything is karma, you know, it just means action. So it's the mm -hmm. binding action according to something, another action. Mm -hmm. But there are some, according to Ayurveda, there are some diseases which are more related with it um two can be one is like chronic skin conditions ah. like eczema psoriasis mm -hmm. and like long-term ones and another one is can be some respiratory chronic respiratory issues right and, and, and another one i'm seeing i think is infertility i mean because infertility is now becoming very very common and it's heartbreaking it's you know all these people want they don't you know even if they have all the money in the world they have the best job they have great community and then they kind of have a child that's all they want they'll do anything but um yeah still and, th and then they're getting all these tests and they're healthy and yeah i mean when you're dealing with bringing a human into the world like that is karma like that is absolutely know, so amen to that that's so true yeah i didn't even think about that um okay wonderful so the i guess the last thing i'd like to ask you about which again you're you're very familiar with is is cancer i know it's a huge topic but <laughs> give a general you used to work in cancer or, or gerson therapy i'm not not much familiar i've heard of it that's primarily for cancer is it yes it is um yeah you're exactly right it actually is um a, an alternative means to treating cancer they use juicing coffee enemas and supplements to help return the body back to homeostasis. And Gerson's really who taught me about drainage pathways. Um, they're the ones who, no matter what cancer people have, they give a similar protocol with a, a backbone of supplements and a, a protocol up to 13 juices a day, four or five enemas, depending on how sick people are, how aggressive their cancer is. So I wouldn't say that cancer is... Um, my passion like stealth infections anymore, but stealth infections can lead to cancer. Environmental toxicities lead 
to cancer. So it's, I'm kind of wanting to jump and catch people before that happens now. But yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I still practice Gerson. I love Gerson. I have many Gerson clients right now. And it's amazing to watch them heal just from natural means. Uh, so yeah, I think cancer is a different, a different topic for people. I think uh, one in three people now will be diagnosed with cancer in their lifetime. And that's totally preventable. Beautiful, definitely preventable, and and it's strongly an environmental cause. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Would you consider mold as uh, an infection, like or, or hidden stealth infection? I mean, it's pretty stealth, right? Yeah, yeah, it totally is. It, it's like um, mold is so weird. Mold is like a monster all of its own. You'll have people who will walk into a moldy house and be so sensitive that they will literally have depersonalizations right there where they can see, look down on themselves. And sit, like out of body experience almost. Oh my God. Wow. Yes. Mold. That's one of the symptoms of mold is depersonalization. Um, well, that's fungi, fungi, right? They can yeah. do amazing things. Exactly. But it makes so much sense when you think about like where people are getting chemical warfare agents. It comes from the volatile organic compounds that mold mycotoxins let off. And so it makes so much sense when you think about things that warfare agents can do and then liken that to being in a moldy house. <laughs> Yeah, and for you listening, please consider mold more. Like, listen to the episode I did with Dr. Jill Krista, who's a mm. good friend of Dr. Jess, and consider this because people do not value how influential it can be in your health, and it will have an accumulative effect for most people. And similar to EMF, you know, people are not acknowledging how biologically active these can be. Yes, absolutely, guys. And if you're a dead giveaway, if you move to a house and you get worse, your fatigue worsens, you have weird tingly sensations on your body, you can't hold your urine, your kids start bedwetting again, that is a surefire sign that you've moved into a moldy place. So always just pay attention to your environment. Okay, beautiful. That was awesome, Dr. Jess. A lot of, um, lot of, lot of things. Full power. I like it. <laughs> Is there anything you wanna you wanna add or mention? I just want everybody to know that your body is amazing. When we were created, no one left out our immune system and said, "That's okay, man. You got it." You know, humans, you've got it. We were we are well equipped to fight many things when put in the correct terrain, and we are manifestors who can manifest whatever future we want from this really stressful time in life. That's it. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Oh, I don't have to say anything after that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And for people who want to find out more about you, your Instagram, would you say, is the place where you give the most knowledge? It is right now. I'm going to have my new website launching probably this month under drjessmd.com. But you can find me under the same name on Instagram, drjess.md. Um, and then, my, like I said, my website will have a ton of educational information on it, um, including educational courses that I now have launched as well, too, for people who are interested. Awesome. All right. We'll put the links to that as well. And... Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you so much. There you go, folks. Isn't she awesome? So thanks again for listening. And if you appreciate this, share it. Share it on Instagram story. Share it to a friend. Tag Vital Vader as well as Dr. Jess, MD. And until next time, we've got some goodies coming up. Much love. And here's a little bit of behind the scenes for you. What time is it there for you? It's 8 a.m. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay, now I've also like... done everything. <laughs> so, <laughs> been for the beach, been for a swim. Nice. Yeah. Oh my gosh, South your guys' beaches are open. Ours aren't oh, open. 
Yeah. Well, we're, we're jumping the fence. Oh, <laughs> I love that. I wish we need to do that. <laughs> they can't stop us. <laughs> um, 